Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Anne Chavruta, Yerdina Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf nun zayin, page 57. Um, I'm going to say that page 57 has presented a different kind of challenge than our recent challenges of difficult things to talk about. Um, in this case, I would say that the theme of the day, if we may be so bold as to suggest one, is that there are different kinds of ways that a person might enter marriage and then technically be disqualified from being married. or And then the question becomes, can that person continue in this marriage? So the Mishnah that precedes this, and we mentioned it on the previous episode, um, and I'm not going to read it all inside, but it talks about exactly these ma- these marriages that cannot really be marriages, like a widow to a Kohen Gadol, um, to the high priest, a grush of a chalut to the Kohen Hedyot, the divorcee or somebody who's had a chalitza to a regular Kohen, right? And then and then the question is, right, like this is a relationship that is not supposed to be taking place. So what happens with, we're talking about Kohanim, can this wife, and I'm going to say that, you know, in quotes, right, is can she partake of truma or not? Because the relationship is never really supposed to enter into marriage. Um, and then, I mean, it's not supposed to be a relationship. And so then the Gemara continues and, and goes on into other such cases, one of which is, and it really begins on the previous stuff, what's called Ptsua Daka. Ptsua Daka is a man who has, for whatever reason, and it's never really described, or if it is ever really described, I haven't seen it. Um, he has, he has the translation here is, you know, crushed text, testicles. Um, but it does not explain, is this a congenital defect or is this a wound along, you know, some kind of injury along the way, except for the fact that Sometimes there's a discussion of, well, what happens if they started off the marriage just fine, and then somewhere along the way, he became a Ptsua Daka. And, and then, of course, the question is, you know, can his wife, and here we're not talking about a prohibited relationship, you know, from the Kohen status, right? The dynamic between them is totally legitimate as far as marriage goes. But now, as a Ptsua Daka, he's not able to father children. And the question is, can he remain can he remain married meaning does this marriage does the status of the marriage mean anything so to speak and you know it's it's a troubling case i think because because i'm going to go out on a limb here and say i think the part of the reason that i find it um concerning like why would this be a, a question of her being able to eat from Truma? Aren't they married? And the question is, well, were they really able to get married to begin with this status of Tzuadaka? And then likewise, once they're married, why would that mean that she would have to give up Truma if, if the injury took place later? Because isn't she still married to him? I would not think that his ability to procreate is the, is the you know, is the bar by which we determine whether a wife would be eligible to eat from Truma. So that by itself is, you know, its own discussion. Then the Gemara here brings, um, uh, you know, why not complicate the case, right? And the question then is, we've got uh, um, somebody who's married to Bat Gerim, a daughter of converts. And the question of a, the daughter of converts is, the she is, to begin with, it's a question, it's a debate whether she's able to marry uh, Kohen. Right, and so we have a position here. I'm going to start, um, I don't know, largely through Ahmed Aleph. Rava lo amarke. We had a Abay and Rava have a disagreement here about exactly this question. It's a little bit higher on the daf. 
Let's see. I'll read this part. Itamar Abaye Amar Ho'il Uma Achila Bolo Right? According to Abaye, right? A woman who has, who is betrothed to a Kohen who is a Ptuadaka, she can eat Truma because, because again, she's going to marry him, right? She, this is a betrothed status, and that would allow her to, to have Truma. Um, below Yada, meaning they have not, I, I believe this means that they have not slept together at this point, right? The question then is, and then this is where the, the case of what if they were married and only then uh, his testicles were crushed, again, whatever this may mean, um, if, if they have not slept together, then she can continue to have Truma. But once they have slept together, it seems to be that that kind of negates this. So Rava says, no, it's not because they haven't slept together. It's because she can she can continue to eat truma. He agrees with that. But his rationale for why is because so can the avadim and shvachot kananim, right? Both both slaves and maidservants, right? They can partake of truma as being part of the Kohen household. So that should apply to somebody who is betrothed to him as well, right? Meaning they are even further removed, let's say, from the Kedusha of the Kohen, and they are allowed to partake. So the Gemara then says, you know, why don't these two agree? And that, like, the Gemara is trying to just explain, why does Abaye not take the reason of Rava? And why does Rava not take the reason of Abaye? Um, and the details here are less of, in, meaning the details of their rationale, although very often we like to trace through and see where their disagreement kicks in. What's interesting to me is this case of the bat gerim. That um, what happens is, let's see, Rava lo amar kabai. Rava didn't say like abai because shani hatam shikvar achla. Because the case that abai that that abai has described, meaning where she is partaking of truma before he becomes a ptuadaka, then. Um, that she can continue to partake of it, right? Anybody who it seems that the daughter, the Bat Israel, who is married to a Kohen, and then he dies, right? This is why we're in Yavamot, right? Um, she's still, according to Abai, she should still be able to continue to partake of the truma. Because she had begun partaking of the truma, even though he dies before they ever had a full marriage. Rava, but according to Rava's rationale, hatam The question is, you know, according to Rava, um, there seems to be a change in stat. I mean, there is a change in status between betrothal and marriage. Let's say because he starts out not a betuadaka and ends up a betuadaka, and then. So, but for Rava's case, it doesn't matter. Any status is she's still his wife or or his betrothed, and the same way that the avadim and can eat, so too she can eat. Now, why does this become relevant? As I said, the case of the bat gerim is where the woman herself has an issue as well, um, because is she going to be allowed to partake of truma if he himself can no longer participate in um, fathering children and? It, it it's like on the one hand, I guess what's stump, stumping me here is I don't have a handle yet on on why this is um, 
why this becomes the stumbling block, right? The Gemara here says that the, or Mar here says, Bat Ger Zachar Kebat Chalal Zachar, right? The idea is that the daughter of a of a convert, of a male convert, meaning it's a Jewish mother and a non-Jewish father, is like the daughter of a Chalal, of a male Chalal, somebody who's not allowed to marry into the Kahuna. And when she's not allowed to marry to the Kahuna, she should not be able to eat from the Truma. But I... I think part of the reason I have a question here is I think we don't necessarily say this about Bat Gerim anymore, maybe because we don't deal with Trum anymore. So, Yerzana, maybe you have some insight onto this. You know, I don't want to I don't want to hang us up here for too long, but no, I, know, I mean, I can't... the Kohen can the Gemara goes on to say a Kohen who marries a Kohen, the daughter can marry the Kohuna. So, I'm missing something. Right. I mean, I I think. You know, when we talk about many of these questions about yichus and status, today it's really just a question about sort of acceptance. And I think when you read Gemara's like this, it's very clear it's not about acceptance. There was real practical halachic implication here about whether or not you can eat truma. So, you know, there's something about this that sort of goes against our modern sensibilities, which is that, you know, I I can accept somebody. I could say they're a full member of the congregation. I can make sure that they feel included. But when it comes to truma, that just may not actually be the case. And so how does that actually feel to people? Right. That's fair. And also part of it, of course, is the 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 question of how do we treat Gayrim and the children of Gayrim today, right? Converts and their families. Um, uh, you know, some of this, I don't know, sometimes there's a prejudice, certainly in some communities there's a prejudice against converts. Perhaps it's rooted here in this question of, you know, when can a convert partake of true men and, and, and when not, or the children of converts? Right, and, and can there be a space where one would say, let's say we had Truma today, I can accept somebody and make sure they feel fully included, but yet they're not going to be allowed to eat Truma. And does that mean they're actually not, you know, that they're not being included if there's one halachic piece that they can't participate in, like how do you strike that balance? Right, and then the same thing of every Israel as compared to Kohen, the status is different. Certainly, it's not fair, meaning it's not the same. Yes, it's it, 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 you're exactly right. It's all about the status, potential inequities in halacha. Okay, so I'm going to move on to another question of status, and this is a, a famous machlokas between. Rub and Shmuel, which is basically summarized by Yeshchupa Lipsolot. And so what this is dealing with the cases is, let's say you have a bat kohen, right, who's basically entitled to Itruma, but she's actually pasul for some reason, Sula, I should say, from marrying, right? So let's say she was a divorcee. And so the question is, if she enters into Kedushin, if she does a chuppah, with a uh, with a Kohen, right? So that's a marriage that shouldn't actually take place. Um, is that chuppah considered to be valid? Or it ends her right to actually eat truma because that's a marriage that actually should never have taken place. And so this is actually a big machlokas between Rav and Shmuel. Yesh chuppah lipsolot, right? So Rav is basically going to say that there is chuppah, meaning the chuppah is valid. And therefore, if they have a chuppah together, uh, this woman, this bat Kohen, who cannot marry a Kohen, uh, then therefore she should, uh, she no longer can eat Truma. 
But Chupa says there's basically no significance to this type of wedding. Um, and it would actually only be uh, the act of intercourse that would probably disqualify her from being able to eat truma, but the chuppah itself wouldn't because the chuppah itself is not valid because they really can't get married altogether. Um, so the Roshonim and the commentaries are going to spend a lot of time uh, discussing uh, this case, actually. Um, and uh, actually what bothers the Roshonim is, is that they actually think it's obvious. Of course, if they get into a marriage, if they do a chuppah, of course, this woman should be disqualified uh, from eating uh, from eating uh, truma. But so that's what like Rashi and Tosfo, that's what they're going to want to spend like a lot of time trying to explain. Um, I think what follows, though, is the piece that's going to get all of us not happy, right? And Shmuel said, and Abba, Abba's a name that we use to refer, that was Rav's actual name, right, agrees with me that in terms of a girl less than three years old in one day, right, she can't be disqualified by basically uh, uh, entering, you know, going into a chuppah because essentially there's no significance of bia, there's no significance of intercourse with her. I'm choking on even saying these words. Um, and therefore, there's also no legal significance of a chuppah with her. So what, what this Gemara then proceeds to basically do is have a discussion about the status of Kedushin and bia with a three-year-old. And that according to the Gemara, a three-year-old and one-day girl, uh, you know, their Kedushin or bia actually has status and has legal ramification. Okay, we are going to see, I don't have a good answer for this, Okay. I, do I think the Gemara thinks three-year-olds should get married? I absolutely do not think that. And we have many Midrashic examples, right? The famous story of Rivka being three years old when Yitzchak met her. Uh, there's also uh, a, uh, a a Gemara that talks about um, that Batsheva. This is, uh, you know, uh, Gemara in Sanhedrin that talks about the Batsheva uh, was six uh, when she gave birth, uh, when she was with uh, David HaMelech. Uh, there's a Gemara Nida that talks about a woman who says uh, to Rabbi Huda Nasi that she was uh, six years, that she married when she was six and uh, she gave birth when she was seven. I, I, I don't have good answers uh, for, you know, today for modern people, these Gemaras are basically revolting, you know, and I, I will stand by using that kind of language. Um, I, I, I think what's going on here a little bit is sort of in like a medical way, I think the Gemara is trying to figure out like when when do we say, like for them, the limit was age three, that there was something about the category of before age three and something about the category of after age three that was significant to them. But I don't think at all what they're trying to say is, is that three-year-old girls should be getting married. But I, I, I don't have a great way to understand what this discussion is that's actually going on here. But, well, but I want to point out, you're going to find this in many Gemaras. My best stab at it is that this is a halacha for Yichud, right? Meaning the Gemara always, the Gemara, the halacha sees girls at the age of three or three in one day, I guess, as the minimum age, as the minimum age for which, you know, sexual intercourse is possible. That doesn't mean it should happen. I think everybody is kind of appalled at the idea that it would 
take place, but there has to be like a, a, a minimum age. Like to me, it's reflective of the fact that, you know, in this day and age, we would talk about pedophiles and the sickos and how young does that kick, you know, what age child would that kick in for? Um, but from a halakhic standpoint, right, the the laws of yichud, of seclusion, I guess, kick in for a girl at the age of three in a day and for a boy at the age of nine in a day, which is a recognition also that, you know, that's about what age, I don't know what, a boy, I, I don't, it's difficult. Like the, the ages are younger than we accept to be anything near the age of. So, so if I want to be really bold, right, maybe in a way what the Gemara is saying is, is like, if you want to say it's a yichud framing, Right. Meaning at an age at which which we don't recommend people being alone. You know, it's a warning in a way. It's saying like things happen to three years old and over. Now, we know, unfortunately, in this world, it happens to even people younger. But maybe that's the Gemara's particular framing of it. I mean, it's still difficult to read on the DAP itself. I think the Gemara takes the laws of Yichud from this. Right. I mean, from the assumption that this is the minimum age for girl, anybody younger than this is called a baby, right? In in a Gemara vocabulary, and at this point, she's a girl. And as far as I'm concerned, a toddler, three year old is still not yet. You know, listen, a nine year old girl is also not appropriate in our in our lexicon, right? But um, I think I think this is one of those things that we have to chalk up to a different sensibility in that era, and even then, one that did not accept this as really a good age for marriage, you know, the Midrash that says that Rivka is three when she marries Yitzchak is trying to make a point about her purity. The idea that she wasn't, you know, rendered impure by um, by any non-Jewish, right, That's or non-Abraham family, um, you know, forgive me, sullying of her, meaning uh, molesting her. Like, this is exactly the point. But, but then lots of other people say that she wasn't three when she got married, right? It's a, it's a midrashic interpretive point to, to establish how pure she was and that she was untouched. Not that she was truly three and carrying all those jugs of water for the camels, for example. Right. And I, you know, but I, I, so I think, and the way you've explained it is probably the only way to explain it. (laughs) But again, I just want to acknowledge, you know, I don't think this is a, particularly pleasant or comfortable DAP to read. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 